Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In the third sermon of the series, Pastor Rob explores why it's biblical and helpful as a disciple to think of ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. God, in your presence today, we confess that you are in charge, that we belong to you, we offer ourselves to you today, and we ask God, would you shape us, would you mold us into the image of Jesus Christ? In his name we pray, amen. How should we think of ourselves as we're navigating the post-Christian world around us? We live in a post-Christian world, and by that we mean that we live in a world that at one time was shaped by Christian beliefs and values. And so consequently, our, our culture was characterized by behaviors and norms that grew out of Christian faith. But now we live in a world that is shaped by secularism, by humanism, by postmodernism, by those beliefs and values. And so consequently, there are different behaviors and norms that come out of it. And so we're asking the question, okay, in the middle of all of that, how do we think of ourselves? You see, as we've been studying 1 Peter so far, we've come away with perspectives that can help us and some things that we could do that could help us. But how do we think of ourselves as we navigate a post-Christian world? Should we think of ourselves as being like a fortress? Are we like Mont Saint-Michel off the coast of France? It's an island that is separated from the coast of France by a tidal bay that is full at high tide and is completely empty at low tide. Back in the Middle Ages, an abbey was built on the top of the rock that is the island of Mont Saint-Michel, and eventually a village grew up around it, and then the entire island was fortified. And when the tide is high and the water is up, you can't engage in a land invasion of Mont Saint-Michel. Troops can't walk over water. And when the tide is low and there is an exposed floor of the seabed, you can't get boats in there. So Mont Saint-Michel is a terribly secure fortress. In the Hundred Years' War between France and, and England that lasted for roughly a hundred years, the English laid siege to Mont Saint-Michel for 30 years, and it never fell. So should we think of ourselves that way? Should we think of ourselves as, as being like a fortress? Let's, let's find an island, a rock, and build a castle on the top of it and surround it with everything we need, put up a high wall and separate ourselves from the rest of the world by a tidal bay that protects us from everything. Should we think of ourselves that way? Well, that's not the way Peter tells us to think of ourselves in the book of 1 Peter. And so as we look at the book of 1 Peter today, we're going to find actually Peter is suggesting a different image to us. 
Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to find the apostle commanding us to do certain things. And the things that he commands us to do are going to help us to navigate a post-Christian world. But as we listen to what he's saying, he suggests an image to us of how we can think of ourselves. And as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, I hear Peter telling us to be ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors who represent the kingdom of God and our true King Jesus to the kingdoms of this world. And so let's dig in and see what it is that Peter is telling us to do, because as we look at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, what you're going to find is that he's telling us to put away the beliefs and behaviors of the kingdoms of this world. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you're going to read Peter calling us spiritual infants. Let's look at it together. I want you to take out your Bibles today. You're gonna, some of you will have paper copies. Some of you will have digital copies. All that's great. Just have it nearby because you're going to need it because we're going to keep looking at this together. But in these verses, Peter writes, So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. There it is. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he begins by saying, so, he's referring back to chapter 1, and he's reminding us, in chapter 1, I told you something important. You have been born again. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have been born anew. There is something new, and you are now newly born into as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, he puts an important if in verse 3. He, he's reminding us, if you have been born again. He writes, look at verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what he's saying is, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, of course you've accepted the offer of salvation and you have been born again. But if you have not, he's saying you have not been born again and none of this applies to you. But he's saying so, so because you are a disciple of Jesus, and he's assuming now, because you are a disciple of Jesus, he's saying there's something critically important for you to do. Because you have been born again, he says, Put away, look at that in verse 1, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And what he's saying there is, in, in your original birth, you were born into the kingdoms of this world. And in that life that you were born into, before you were born again into the kingdom of God, you've gotten pretty good at it. You've gotten pretty comfortable at it. In fact, you're like a, an adult in the kingdoms of this world, and there are certain things that are very comfortable to you, very natural to you. It's like a pair of old jeans and, and your favorite T-shirt. You put them on, they fit really well. And he's saying very, very practically, the word he uses, put away, take off that old set of clothes and set them aside. And he says, well, this is what that old set of clothes looks like malice and, and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and, and slander. And some of you are saying, hey, you know what? I've been a Christian for decades. I've been a disciple of Jesus for as long as I can remember. I've got nothing left of the kingdoms of this world in me. And Peter says, uh-uh, oh no. <laughs> He's saying, hey, you've got old clothes. You're an adult in the kingdoms of this world. You've learned these behaviors well. And when you read them, you go, wow, actually, okay. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, 
you know, feeling negative toward one another, using, using the truth as a tool, not being who we say that we are, wanting things that we don't have, and speaking badly about others. He says that's the starting point of the lifestyle of the kingdoms of this world. And you go, I, I would never. <laughs> but then when you're honest, you're like, yeah, I do. And he says, put away. Take that old set of clothes off because you've got to intentionally leave behind the behavior of the kingdoms of this world. And he says, okay, now if you're doing that, you know what helps? Think of yourself as a spiritual infant in the kingdom of God. And as a spiritual newborn, you need sustenance. He says, you need spiritual milk. Now, the image of milk appears elsewhere in the New Testament. And when it does, sometimes it's a criticism. It's saying that you're only able to handle the food that belongs to a baby because you're spiritually immature. And you should be eating solid food of an adult. That image functions that way in other places. That's not what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying here, when you recognize that in the kingdom of God, you are newly born and you need sustenance, get that sustenance, get that food that will help you to grow. And that spiritual food that he's talking about, if you look at it in the original language, you see that the spiritual that he's talking about is the word of God. The rational word of God. We are to study the Bible, the written word of God, and we are to apply it to our lives. We're to begin to understand the ways of Christ through the word of God. And so he's telling us, put away everything from that old life that you have. Put away the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdoms of this world. Instead, begin to put on, to grow in something new, the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdoms of God, of the kingdom of God. He's already pointing us to what he's going to tell us is the second thing that we need to do, and that is to learn and adopt the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God. Learn and adopt the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God. As we put away the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdoms of this world, the flip side of it is learning and adopting, putting on the beliefs and behaviors of the kingdom of God. And to help us understand what that looks like, he gives us two powerful images in verses 4 through 10. He talks about us being stones and priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and following. As you come to him, that is to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Peter begins by telling us that Jesus is now to be viewed like a living stone. In fact, that image occurs throughout the Bible to describe Messiah, to describe Jesus. Jesus picks up that image himself. He's quoting from the Psalms, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, yes, I am that stone that people have talked about, and when the Scriptures talk about the builders rejecting it, he, he recognizes and he points out, I'm talking about the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities of this day. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, we read Jesus saying, have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you never read that? Jesus said, that applies to me. I am the living stone. And this stone has become now a cornerstone. And Peter says, well, okay, what does it mean for Jesus to be a cornerstone? It means that there is a decision that we must make. Peter explains this decision by quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, where we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. But that's not how Peter remembers this verse going. Peter remembers this as being now a test, a, a conscious decision that people will have to make. A cornerstone has been laid, and the question is, when you come to this cornerstone, how will you relate to it? Will you relate to it as a cornerstone? Will you come to it and do what a cornerstone is meant to do? Will you build the building of your life and of the church in relationship to that cornerstone? Will you adopt the beliefs and the behaviors and the values that Jesus, that cornerstone, implies? He says, look, look at it in, in verse 7. He says, if you do, the honor is for you. The honor is for you who believe. That's your cornerstone, and you are building your life in relationship to it. But he says, if you don't, then it becomes to you a stumbling block. It's going to be the thing that you fall over in life because you refuse to build your life around it. And he says back in verse 6, look at that. He says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, which means whoever does not believe him will experience the shame of being judged as separate from and under God's wrath eternally. There's a decision that we have to make because Jesus is the cornerstone. But having made that decision, Peter says, you who have chosen to build your lives around that cornerstone are being fashioned together into something grand and beautiful. You yourselves, because you are relating now to Christ, are like a stone. But you're not just any stone. He says you're a living stone yourself, meaning that you are filled with the life of Jesus Christ. And because you are a living stone being fitted together into this house that God is building, you are being joined with other followers of Jesus, other disciples, other living stones, 
And you're becoming something grand, a house. And that house is a spiritual house. And in that house, you offer the purest of sacrifices. You offer a life that has been lived according to the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God for God's glory. What a beautiful thing he's saying. You're fitted together into a house in which everyone offers their lives to God as a living sacrifice. That's a great image for what's happening to us. But Peter goes on to add another image. He says, not only are you like a stone being built into a grand house for God's usage and dwelling, but you are also a, a people. You are priests and a people. He, he, he piles up the images in verse 9. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Man, Peter is pulling things from throughout the Old Testament to describe who God's people are now. Not the least of those is Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, where God says to Moses to tell the people this after he had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He says, Moses, go tell the people this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so Peter is saying, God has fashioned you into a people. And he uses every term for people available. You're a group who has a common ancestor. You're a group who has, you come from one source. You live in a place together and you have the same beliefs, values, and customs. You who were not a people are now a people and you have been fashioned into a people who have been brought out of darkness. Darkness is ignorance of God, lack of God's presence, evil, and being under God's judgment. You are a people who have been brought out of that into the marvelous light of God's favor, of goodness, of God's presence, and of love. You've been brought out of darkness into light. Why? So that you might demonstrate the glory of God to the world. And so now Peter is saying to us in a powerful way that we are to be conformed to the beliefs and to the behaviors of the kingdom of God. Like living stones were to be fashioned in relationship to Jesus Christ into a building for God's great glory in the world. We are like a people being knitted together to proclaim the goodness of God and demonstrate the ways of God to the world. And we begin to see as we realize Peter's telling me to be conform to the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God, but there's a point. There's a reason. I'm being shaped into a citizen of the kingdom of God for a purpose. What is that purpose? And that's the third thing that Peter tells us. He tells us we are to advocate for the kingdom of God among the citizens of the kingdoms of this world. And he does that in verses 11 and 12, 11 and 12 where he writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, Peter is telling us indirectly here that Abraham is our model. Right here, we find this, this word that we are, these words, we are sojourners and exiles. That's what the text says right here in the version of the Bible that I'm reading from. These are two Greek words that are tough to translate. Depending on your translation, you could have things like uh, strangers, uh, foreigners. Uh, you, you could have pilgrims in your version of the text. It's very difficult to translate these words, but it's not difficult to understand the experience behind them. These two words are describing the experience of being from one place. You grew up in a place, and, and you've adopted the beliefs, the customs, the behaviors of that place. But you've left that place. You've come to another place. And that place has different beliefs, behaviors, customs. And when you come to that place, you're the foreigner. You're the outsider. The people who are there were born there. They belong there. They are citizens, and they hold the power. It's describing the experience of Abraham in the Old Testament. Abraham had a home. He lived with his family. He, he knew the customs, the beliefs, and the behaviors of that place. God came to him, and he said, I want you to go to a new place, a new land. I will show you that land. I will give you that land. And when I give you that land, I will bless you and I will bless others through you. Ultimately, he says, I will bless all nations of earth through you. And so Abraham goes to that new place, and in that new place, he describes the experience himself. In Genesis chapter 23, verse 4, Abraham says this, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the words that Abraham spoke are the words we have right here. In Second Peter or First Peter, chapter two, verse eleven, that are translated sojourner and exile, we're having Abraham's experience. We are sent by God to another place to represent Him and to bless the world through being in that place. Now, before he gets to telling us what we are to do there, Peter reminds us: when you go to a new place. When you leave the kingdom of God and live in the kingdoms of this world, he says, you are going to be maligned. He doesn't say you might be maligned. He says you will be maligned. He speaks about living among the Gentiles, and the, the word that he uses there is just basically it is nations. When you go among the nations, when you of the kingdom of God go into the kingdoms of this world, whatever kingdom, not one kingdom, not one nation, not some nations, but when you go to every nation as a representative of the kingdom of God, you will be maligned. You will be maligned. What is he describing? He's describing you will be exposed to the ways of the world that he told us about in verse 1 at a minimum. You will experience malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. There's a wordplay that's going on in, in Greek. Because you're going to be doing good deeds. The word for good related to deeds is kalos. You are doing kalos wherever you go. But people are seeing instead wickedness. Kakos. You're doing kalos, and they're seeing kakos. You're saying kalos, they're giving you kakos. But Peter is saying to us, even when they're speaking 
kakos about you. Continue doing kalos. Why? Because when we refrain, abstain from the conduct that's described in verse 1, when we abstain from malice, slander, envy, when we abstain from kakos, it speaks loudly to the world. And when we engage in kalos, in good deeds, it speaks loudly as a witness to the world. They see that God has done something different in our lives and that the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of this world. And Peter says, as you do your kalos in front of the kakos-speaking nations, God may be the one who gets all the glory. Because he says, as you do your good deeds and as if you abstain from evil and as the nations see you, they're going to want what you have and give you opportunities to speak and advocate for the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God and of the true king, Jesus Christ, with the citizens of the kingdoms of this world. And they may become citizens of the kingdom of God as well. They may repent and become disciples of Jesus. And when they do, when they see Jesus face to face, God will get the glory for their lives as well. And now we begin to see what Peter is really driving at. We are being pushed outward to be a witness to the nations and to see the nations come to Jesus Christ. So should we then think of ourselves as ambassadors? I mean, let's be honest. Peter never used the term. You read it now. The term never occurred. The term occurs in the writings of Paul, the apostle. It occurs in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's Paul, not Peter. Peter didn't write it here. Paul wrote it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He used that term in one other occasion. Twice in the New Testament, he calls us to be, or he says that we are, ambassadors. Peter doesn't say it. Is it okay to say Peter was encouraging us to be ambassadors then? Well, think about what an ambassador does and the intentional interface between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God that Peter is describing. What Peter is saying is that people are caught in the kingdoms of this world. They're born into the kingdoms of this world. They have the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdoms of this world. And we, who are citizens of the kingdom of God, are engaging in good deeds and abstaining from evil deeds. We represent the interests of the kingdom of God and of our true King, Jesus Christ. And we are inviting the citizens of the kingdoms of this world to adopt King Jesus as their true Lord, to become citizens of the kingdom of God right along with us. When you think about it, you have to ask yourself, if I am a citizen of the kingdom of God and I am in the kingdoms of this world, why? Was it a mistake? Did God say, oh, whoops, I, I left you in the kingdoms of this world? Is it a punishment? Is it a tragedy? Or did God put us in the kingdoms of this world for a purpose? To represent him and to call people to him. 
That's the job of an ambassador. And the job of an ambassador begins to describe the interface between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God that Peter is describing in the book of 1 Peter. He never uses the term ambassador. But does it not describe what he's talking about? Peter tells us you've got three jobs to do when you are navigating a non-Christian, a post-Christian world. He says, job number one, leave behind the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdoms of this world. Job number two, you are to put on, you are to learn and adopt the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God. And job number three, you are to advocate for the kingdom of God and for King Jesus with the citizens of the kingdoms of this world. Those are the three jobs that Peter gives us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. That's the job of an, of an ambassador. When we think of ourselves as ambassadors of the kingdom of God and of our true king, Jesus Christ, we avoid some of the biggest mistakes that we could make as we navigate a post-Christian world. When we think of ourselves as ambassadors, we recognize that we are not fortresses. It is not our job to build a castle on a rocky outcrop, surround it with a village and everything we need, build a wall, build a moat, and protect ourselves. That's not what we're here to do. Thinking of ourselves as ambassadors helps us to avoid the mistake too of thinking that God has sent us like an expeditionary force into the world to go to war with the world. That's not our job. And thinking of ourselves as ambassadors helps us to avoid the mistake of settling down in the kingdoms of this world, making them our true home, and re-adopting the beliefs, the behaviors, and the values of this kingdom. Thinking of ourselves as ambassadors, we don't give up and blend in. That's not our job either. When we think of ourselves as ambassadors, we recognize some of the most important things that we must do as we navigate a post-Christian world. We recognize that we must leave behind, put away the beliefs and the behaviors of the kingdom of God. We recognize that we must intentionally conform ourselves to, learn, adopt the beliefs, the behaviors, the values of the kingdom of God. And we recognize that as we navigate the post-Christian world, it is fundamentally our job to advocate for the kingdom of God and our true king, Jesus Christ, with the citizens of the kingdoms of this world. Let's think of ourselves as ambassadors. It describes perfectly what Peter is calling us to do. And thinking of ourselves as ambassadors guides us rightly as we navigate the post-Christian world. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. 
If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.